Howdy, everybody, and welcome to another BP Movie Journal, the show we do where we talk about the stuff we've seen since the last time we did one of these. I'm David. I'm Tyler. I'll take your word for it, Tyler. We are recording yeah. <laughs> over Zoom, and Tyler has his video off. Yeah. Um, he can't stand to be seen in his current state, I think. You know what? Is- <laughs> you are actually quite right. Uh, I'm... I uh, I have sequestered myself in a in a hotel for the last several days, um, where I am trying to catch up on editing uh, the project that I'm working on right now, and and I feel like I'm slowly losing my mind because um, I've just been. I mean, I go out to like grab something to eat, and then I come back here and just sit and just stare at my computer which I'm pretty sure I'm killing because it is, uh, it's, it's having some technical problems. Mm-hmm. I don't think the computer is particularly old, but when you're dealing with hundreds of movies, each of, wi- you know, each of which is 10, 20 gigs each, uh, you come to realize like, Oh, okay. I'm going to, this is, this is, uh, I'm being a little hard on the computer right now. What's your like window situation in the, ho- in the hotel? You, you have a window. I'm hoping. I have two windows. Do they open? Um, Do you have a balcony? What floor? No, I'm on the first floor. Okay. Um, There's a, there's a a half a flight of stairs to get up uh, to the, uh, to the first floor. But above ground level, Uh, there are two windows. They're fairly small. Um, when, you know, during the day I, I keep them open so that I have natural light, but then I don't like the idea of people being able to see in. So when the sun goes down and I'm turning the lights on, I close the shades. Um, but yeah, and, and frankly, there normally would be more light in the hotel room at night, but I had to unplug one of the lamps so that I could plug my computer in. And there's really no other logical place to put it. So it's a little dark and dingy, but you're editing, you know, it needs to be. Yeah. Not enough outlets in any hotel room. That's, that's why uh, you got to stay in that hotel room from that Portlandia sketch. Uh, I don't know if you remember that sketch. I do not. <laughs> it was a hotel and their entire selling point was that there are outlets everywhere in your room. <laughs> and, um, but the cost of staying in that hotel was... Um, uh, uh, prohibitively high because of their electric electricity bill. <laughs> uh, funny sketch. Yeah, All right. It's, it's been a, yeah, it's so anyway, so today I, I, I was on like a nice little, uh, three or four hour jag where I was just sitting and editing the whole time. And then I, uh, had to go to the bathroom and I uh, made the mistake of catching myself in the mirror. And I was like, Holy <laughs> shit, I look horrible. <laughs> and my eyes are all dark. And I'm just like, Oh man, I, you know, I'm glad I don't do this very often. Um, all right. Well, let's talk about the, the movies we watched. Uh, all right. I have six, I would have had seven, but I'm going to okay. vent about something that our listeners do not care about unless our listeners are fellow film critics, but I hate, and it happens all the time. Why send me a screener link to a movie? If the link's going to expire three days before the movie comes out, like I'm planning to watch the 
Oh boy. Like, you think I'm planning these reviews two weeks ahead? Like, I went to watch a movie last night, which is two days before the movie's even out. And it's like, yeah. oh, sorry, your screener expired 24 hours ago. It's like, what? It has happened to me before. But why? I don't understand the logic between it, like, expiring so far in advance. Should ex- the screener link should expire when the movie comes out. Again, I know listeners are like, who cares? Tiny violin and stuff like that. But, uh, it's just, uh, it, it, yeah, it happens enough that it's frustrating, but it's also kind of like a fool me twice situation where I still, I, I still forget to check the expiration date on, yeah, uh, on screeners because it just seems logically, but I should, I should know by now after a year and a half of pandemic movie reviewing, I should know to make note of the screener expiration date. Perhaps the but person making the decisions is a former elementary school teacher who's like well maybe if you did it immediately uh you wouldn't and not wait until the last minute you know you'd be fine <laughs> i never learned that lesson i've always waited yeah, until the last I. minute uh to to write to write things especially all right yeah. um all right so let's start with the movies i watched the movie i did get to review unfortunately uh, is uh benoit jaco's new film or his newest film to come out in america he's already got a newer one since then uh it's called casanova last love and um I will say I have made a point of being a, a, a supporter of Benoit Jaco as a, an a, a underrated filmmaker for decades at this point, going all the way back to when I worked at a video store in my college years. Uh, his 1995 film, A Single Girl, was for, for a while on my employee picks wall. Um, I, I can't remember if... Uh, Farewell, Farewell, My Queen made my top 10 of 2012 list. I think it might not have made the list, but it was up there. And uh, uh, I, uh, I, 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 I go to bat for Benoit Jacot, who I think uh, doesn't get enough respect, despite the fact that he um, seems to keep being able to make movies with big, uh, or at least by French standards, or you know, from a French point of view, big stars. So that's all to say that I really like Benoit Jacot and I'm sorry, I really didn't like Casanova Last Love uh, because I think there's there's um, some problems here with just the the very conception of of the thing. It, it imagines because Casanova, real guy, um, and uh, uh, was often exiled from places he lived and fleeing the law and stuff. And so this sort of imagines late in life that he came to London. And that he uh, fell in love with a um, a French prostitute in London, uh, played by Stacey Martin from uh, most probably best known from Nymphomaniac, but she was also Natalie Portman's older sister in Vox Lux. Uh, she's a really good actress. Um, and uh, um, Casanova here is played by Vincent Lindon, who has worked with uh, Benoit Jacob before. You've also got the great Valeria Golina showing up as a another sort of uh, French exile um, uh, living in London that they kind of the bond with. But the the movies uh, the premise of the movie is that this this French prostitute, played by Stacey Martin, is the only of all the women that Casanova has wooed and bedded over his career um this is the only one he truly loved because she like made him work for it or something but uh there's 
a, a problem just with the conception of Casanova here and that he's he's a a boorish snob like asshole he's like his way of courtship is like negging essentially and like like uh <laughs> pickup artist type of terms and i'd like i don't think the movie is trying to be like oh let's see what Ca- a Ca- a casanova really would have been like because like we yeah I, the, i'm sure <laughs> i know the story of casanova is that he was one of the world's great lovers it's Chances are, in real life, he was probably like would have been me too. If he was living, oh my yes. <laughs> today, and so I guess that's like smart. But it's like the movie also seems to want us to root for him, to feel bad that <laughs> that that he's pining for this the one woman he 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 truly loved. But I'm just like I spent the movie more rooting for her. Like I hope she doesn't fall for his shit. I hope she gets away from him because he doesn't seem like a a, a good dude. And also, the movie has some. Uh, not a lot but early on in the movie it has some scatological stuff that's like used it's used i understand why jacob put it in there um (gasps) as as to sort of make casanova's entrance into london high society life especially unwelcoming i get the usefulness of it but like that's a just a personal hang-up that's going to turn me off uh and it happens like right at the beginning there's like a fecal thing um yes. so uh yeah casanova last love swing and a miss i'm afraid for ben wajico but uh check out a single girl and farewell, farewell my queen also check out from 2014 i think a movie called three hearts which uh depending on your tolerance level for uh preposterous melodrama <laughs> mine tends to be very high uh three hearts okay. is is uh, uh very much recommended but skip casanova last love what did you watch I watched the film I believe you've seen. I think you reviewed it for okay. the site when it came Ooh. out. Um, and I'm going to be, it's going to be, the last name's going to be tough for me here. Uh, Andre Overdahl's uh, Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark. Yeah. Yeah. So you, I'm, I, I take it you either didn't read my review or didn't care that I tried to warn people away from it. <laughs> oh, it's, no, I read your review, but I was curious about it anyway. Um, and... <clears throat> Uh, yeah, every once in a while it'll, it'll happen that like, and that's the thing is it, it got okay reviews elsewhere. Um, and so, uh, every once in a while it'll happen that I, I a movie will come out that I do want to see it. It's not urgent, but it's still kind of there in the back of my mind. And so the fact that I've been making this horror document, it's one that has some very specific images in it that I feel like, Oh, I'll, those will probably be very helpful. So I should at the very least watch the movie. Um, And while I, I don't think I dislike it. uh, It's also, it also comes up a little bit short. I, I understand why they, it's like, Oh, how do you adapt these short stories? you know, how, th- these very short stories, how do you do that into one movie? And so they came up with, I understand it's not actually a framing device. It's the actual story of the film is these kids have run across this, uh, this old house. And there's this story, uh, there, this story about the house being haunted and this uh, young woman who is abused by her family and uh, stuck in the basement. And she came up with all these stories and 
themselves. So it's like, oh, all right, wow, we're spending a lot of time on that. And that is not actually anything from the books. Uh, when it gets into the stories themselves, I'd say unsurprisingly, pretty good. Um, and the sequence with the, uh, the, the smiley, uh, woman mm -hmm. who is in, you know, who's down every corridor, solid, very, yeah. very freaky. Um, I like that. So there are good moments, uh, and very effective moments. And I think the actors all do a fine job, but for the most part, I feel like they got so wrapped up in how they could actually turn this into a movie that part of me is just like, why not just go creep show with it? Why not go where you're just, you know, you, you have a crypt keeper type person telling the audience these stories and we just go from one to the next. I think that's perfectly fine. Um, and I've been active that way. Uh, yeah. Andre Overdahl is one of these guys. Um, uh, I'm also reminded of uh, um, Morton Tildum is another. Uh, oh, sure. Um, uh, guy who like made their name with a movie like Andre Overdahl made uh, weirdly the titles are similar. Andre Overdahl made Troll Hunter. Morton Tilden made Headhunters. Mm. They're, neither one of them is like some great masterpiece or anything, but they're both like fun movies. Yeah. And then from there they get careers where they're, they're handed careers where they get to make all kinds of movies and they stop making movies that are fun. Like scary stories should have been a lot more fun i think it's too maudlin and, and and weighed down and then he made mortal last year oh so, oh my god that was uh that, that was a, a, a snooze and, and and morton tilden went from headhunters which is like this just like pitch black uh, uh comedy that's uh, um uh, a lot of fun to making like the imitation game and passengers which listeners remember yeah. was my least favorite film of the 2010s i just don't understand like like is it you're only allowed to have fun when you're when there's nothing on the line and then once you're making movies for like studios with money it has to be super serious it's a it's a it's a bummer i, I wish andre overdahl would make have, did you ever see troll hunter i did i did not actually i had heard great things about it it's so much fun um, I, I don't know why he can't make a fun movie again i will say one thing and i don't know how to how like somewhere there's a video essay here about the uh the the fact that scary stories to tell in the dark you know takes place in uh the 1960s and there's all this political unrest and stuff and i just kept expecting you know the dude to show up and be like what was all that shit about vietnam why does everything have to be about vietnam that's what it reminded me <laughs> that's of. that's right uh opens with the uh, season of the witch though that's a great song you're, you're reminding me that the, it, yes, the, the yes. opening I've liked, song is Season of the Witch. I liked basically every version of that song. Mm. Like Dr. John does a version of it that's really uh, moody and, and unslow and all that. All right. Um, following the uh, listeners might remember the last uh, movie journal we did two weeks ago, uh, I talked about a film called Color of a Brisk and Leaping Day from 1996, directed by Christopher Munch. I followed that up with uh, Christopher Munch's most recent film, which uh, is just from 2020, premiered at the Palm Springs Film Festival in pre-pandemic 2020. Uh, it's called The Eleventh Green, and uh, it's fantastic. <laughs> um, I'm going to try and describe what the movie is uh, uh, about. Well, I, I, I can't describe what the movie is about. I just this is where I wish Tyler had his video on so I could see him enjoy the uh, <laughs> the story of this movie. Um, 
Uh, Campbell Scott plays a fictional character, a sort of left-wing investigative journalist whose estranged father was a high-ranking career Air Force official who worked directly under Eisenhower and uh, was very likely privy to the secrets the American government is keeping about extraterrestrials. Uh, so this is not, uh, I will say right off the bat, this is not a movie that is trying to get at whether or not there are extraterrestrials in the U S it takes it as understood from the beginning that there are, there, there are aliens. Um, there have been for decades, the government knows about it and they're keeping it from the people. That's the, the, the premise. So he's, he goes back to like, take care of his father's affairs in, in, in Palm Springs or actually Palm desert. Um, and he's sort of befriending um, his father's, his late father's uh, caretaker, played by Agnes Bruckner, and they're sort of like going through his papers together and figuring things out. There's a lot of other CIA like spooks and stuff uh, uh, around, but there's also another storyline where, oh, I should say, even though the movie came out last year, it takes place in the last, in, in, in the at the tail end of the Obama administration. So there's another story okay. where Barack Obama um, is is at his uh, on on vacation in Hawaii and every day he takes some time to meditate. And while meditating, he astral projects into the past and has long conversations with Dwight Eisenhower about aliens and about what the American people ought to know and when, and um, who is really controlling the information, like how free are the presidents who are supposedly the, most powerful people in the in the country to actually reveal this if they wanted to. Uh, so you've got that whole storyline. Then you've got another series of flashbacks that isn't connected to anything that are in black and white um, about the first ever Secretary of Defense, James Forrestal, played by Ian Hart. Um, okay. And uh, if you, I didn't know this. I since um, uh, looked this up uh, among sort of these kind of. UFO conspiracy theorists in, in the U.S. Um, James Forrestal, who um, committed suicide um, in the late 40s, the, it is largely believed that he did not commit suicide, that he was going to expose the secrets about the the um, the UFOs uh, and was essentially killed or forced to commit suicide Um to to keep his family safe or whatever and so there's another story that illustrates that all this is going on at the same time sort of jumping uh, uh, among these these stories and yet for all of how like potentially like silly or hokey this sounds it's all like face value it's not it, the movie is it's not a conspiracy theorist sort of like frothing rant it's a very reasonable, straightforward uh, movie that actually has a lot of everyday beauty in it. Um, much like I said, with color of a brisk and leaping day has, has a real appreciation for, for uh, quiet moments and, and, and there's in nature. And this is another California movie that was, uh, you know, very much central Cal- central inland California. This is the Coachella Valley type of California, but um, um it's 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 a it's a it's a lovely sort of gentle peaceful movie that is also kind of batshit but in a way that you're like ah, i 
I, I, I buy it. Like I see what I see what they're what they're doing. Um, again, I wish I could have seen Tyler's face through all that, but um, I very, very, very highly recommend. Uh, rest these. assured, I. <clears throat> Go ahead. I had a half smile on my face the whole time <laughs> uh, uh, I, with, with every new thing. Yeah, yeah, it was amazing. Very highly recommend the 11th green. Uh, and also the reason I watched these two Christopher Munch films is because of my latest someone we watched column, which is currently live at film independent, uh, dot com. Um, uh, Christopher Munch was uh, either the first or second winner of the uh, someone to watch uh, award at the independent spirit Awards, depending on how you, interpret the award because uh, okay. Lodge Kerrigan won it the year before but that was like it was like a grant and it wasn't like a category where there were nominees in a competition right. it was just like a thing that was given to Lodge Kerrigan so but Christopher Munch won it the first year that it was like an official like category at the Film Independent Spirit Award or the Independent right. Spirit Awards um, so yeah check that out at Film Independent you're up next Tyler Okay, so next for me is uh, Jesus Franco's 1970 Count Dracula, uh, starring Christopher Lee. Uh, Christopher Lee would play Dracula many times, uh, but this was the this was a straightforward adaptation of the actual Dracula story, uh, you know, with Jonathan Harker and and Mina and Lucy and all them. Um, <clears throat> And it's very, it's very good. Uh, I've seen this ver I've seen this story many, many times. It's the story of the Bela Lugosi one. It's uh, Nosferatu. Like it is the official story of Dracula. And so, really, at that point, it's just about like the style uh, and and seeing what the actors do with the characters. And I'm on record as as Dracula is a tough character because he he looms so large in in the the consciousness of of culture that he's a hard character to play and i that's something i have to try and keep in mind uh when watching something like this is that this is 1970 this is you know 50 plus years ago now um and the character has only gotten bigger since then um and so you know, I went back and I watched a version of Dracula with Jack Palance, and then I've watched a few version, uh, a few uh, times that Christopher Lee played Dracula, and it just, I, I, for whatever reason, I just find them all not quite big enough, given that Dracula's is uh, almost operatic in his in his evil and in his capabilities. Um, these films all feel so small and the Dracula as played by Christopher Lee feels small. He's doing well with it. So it might just be the way the film is shot around him. That said, you know, fun and, and good performances and Christopher Lee is good as Dracula or rather he's good as this antagonist character, but it's hard for me to think of him as Dracula, which I know is, is sacrilegious. And again, that might not be his fault. That might be the fault of the, of the director. Um, one thing that I will say is that uh, Renfield is played by Klaus Kinski and <clears throat> who would go on to play Dracula in the uh, Werner Herzog remake of Nosferatu. And I was, and I was really interested. It was very interesting to me because they essentially completely reimagine who Renfield is and make him into a much more soulful character uh, who still, yes, is crazy and yes, still eats bugs, but is largely mute and is seen as less pathetic, like he is seen 
with Dwight Fry and Tom Waits and these other uh, these other car- other actors, um, and he's seen as a, a character to be pitied and to be sympathetic and all that. And so it's a good performance uh, and a really interesting version of that character. And I would say that maybe more than any other aspect of the film is what I is is what I can recommend about it. Uh, the rest of it, you know, I'd say if you're a Dracula completist, then by all means, check it out. It's a perfect it's a perfectly fine film. Uh, but the best part and most interesting part of it is uh, Renfield played by Klaus Kinski. Um, all right. So that's um, I'm trying to think what I've actually seen by Jesus Franco. But wh- I wonder why, because his name is Jesus Franco, but he was often credited as Jess Franco. Just Jess. Yes, yes. And I wonder why that, like, was there a time when, like, maybe audiences outside of Spanish-speaking countries weren't used to people's names being Jesus? Uh, I can <laughs> that. I can see that. Okay. Um, all right. So moving on to uh, now. Okay, this is listeners of Battleship Pretension getting a little <coughs> treat because you're going to know okay. who the subject of my next someone we watched. Uh, column uh, is I don't I'm not sure I haven't even written it yet I don't know when it's going to post uh, but I actually had some rare time to watch a bunch of movies this past weekend which has been very rare uh, lately so I, I uh, went ahead and got ahead of myself and watched two films by another someone to watch winner starting with the one he won for 2010's Little Rock the director's name is Mike Ott uh, and Little Rock is one word because it is not based on the Arkansas City uh, of of Little Rock, uh, capital of the natural state, Um, uh, but rather uh, Little Rock, California, which is a real place in Los Angeles County out in sort of like uh, uh, off the Pear Blossom Highway, like uh, Palmdale, Lancaster type of area. It's an unincorporated census designated place is what you call this type of uh, uh, place. And um, the movie Little Rock uh, concerns a Japanese brother and sister. The um, um, the the sister is actually played by um, uh, Los Angeles stand-up comic Atsuko Oketsuka, um, and she plays a character also named Atsuko. Um, and so this brother and sister gets their bra- they're they're on their way. They're um, visiting California. They're on their way up to uh, to to go to visit Manzanar and. Um, in the San Francisco area, but their car breaks down on the pair blossom highway and they're stranded for a few days in, um, in little rock, California. And, um, the, um, uh, the, 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 the sort of like, uh, hook, I guess of the movie is that Atsuko meets, a young man who is sort of like connected to the like low life crime sort of drug world in, in little rock, but is uh, he's kind of the clown or mascot of the group. Everyone like looks down on him, but like he sort of sees this pretty girl who doesn't speak English and, and you get the impression maybe he's like, Oh, she doesn't, understand that everyone thinks i'm a loser um but maybe she understands more than uh than she lets on things come across in ways other than 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 language and that's really kind of the 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 fun hook of the movie is uh 
when it does and doesn't decide to subtitle the the the, the Japanese. Um, and uh, um, Atsuko, the real Atsuko Okatsuka, um, uh, co-wrote the script um, with uh, with Mike Ott, the the the, the director. Um, and so it's uh, I guess it's a uh, I guess it's a slice of life. It's a stalled road movie. Um, uh, uh, I, I'm not sure exactly how you'd describe it. It's very sort of uh, um, one of those movies that's, I think, very sort of seemingly slight and narrow in its focus, but actually says a lot about um, how people relate to to, to one another. Um, and it has a lot of sympathy for its characters um even while it also recognizes that the quote-unquote nice guy isn't actually always the nicest guy um but uh i feel like i'm selling it short but uh i I liked it uh quite a bit little rock all right um excuse me so my uh, next film is the 1953 uh, War of the Worlds, directed by Byron Haskin. Classic. Um, yeah, it is. Uh, I rewatched been, that during the during the pandemic. I rewatched that. So did you? Recently. And this is my this is my first time seeing it actually, um, and I I liked it a lot. I'm I'm a I think in general I like the story of War of the Worlds, and I've always liked. And I've, I've, I like the book as well. I've always liked that ending. It's such a fascinating idea for an ending and one that people might see anticlimactic, but thematically it's tremendously satisfying. Um, and with this, I really do. It's, it's tough when you watch a movie like this because you've seen, first off, you're very familiar with the story, but also you've seen those images, like you've seen those spaceships just if you're a movie fan you like sci-fi you've seen them just in clips and uh and i I, but i still i still really love the design so i think the like i'm sure if you were watching this at the time uh it's not about it being it's not about the technology or the or the effects it's about just the the truly otherworldly uh quality of those spaceships and and i feel like uh the film that's something that i've always liked about certain alien movies or alien invasion movies is when they they're like why on earth should these characters be humanoid at all why should their technology mirror anything that we have um and so when you see the aliens themselves they yeah like they i think technically they have arms and legs but they don't they're not they don't have faces uh they've got like these weird eye things that are that can also be transferred to their technology it's really interesting um from a visual standpoint the martians and i really really responded to that um and there are nice moments of suspense like when the the main character and and the the, his love interest are in the the house and the the little like probe comes in and yeah by and large i i really enjoyed it and it just it seems like such a it's both quintessential and essential uh 50s sci-fi viewing and I really, I really, resp- I, I really responded to it. I didn't find it hokey at all. And I thought I, I might, I don't usually, but I, I, I thought I might, and I didn't. But that's, yeah, that's what I was going to say is that when you talk about seeing clips, like I can picture like the clip of the thing blowing up city hall, like very fake yeah. looking, blowing up um, LA's uh, 
city hall i've like seen that and if that's all you know it 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 looks like it's going to be a schlocky b movie and it's like surprisingly bleak yeah Uh, um that's the first when i the first time i saw it i was like oh this is like um not a like uh the sort of uh corny like this isn't the kind of movie you would see on mystery science theater where there's some sort of like you know the the uh handsome lantern jawed man like um heroically overcomes the uh the the little green men or or whatever like it's uh it's kind of depressing it's kind of cynical Uh, yeah it's somehow it's it's less hokey than independence day i don't know how that's possible (laughs) but it is okay Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Um, all right, I'm going to follow up with the most recent Mike Ott film, which is a... Uh, uh, it's uh, one of my favorite sort of sub-genres of film that I feel like has been going very strong in the last decade or so, which I will call documentary. Um, sure. <laughs> uh, it's a movie called actor martinez which is a again documentary ish about a guy named arthur martinez who lives in denver describes himself as an actor but his actual job is that he's a an on-call computer repair man and that he like facilitates you know he hosts these like meet and greets for like the denver like uh um film community and he tries to like describes himself as like a publicist and a, a promoter and an org- he's, he's sort of like got his hand in a lot of things but really he's it, it may or may not um amount to to much and he hmm. according to I, I don't know how much of the movie is is real um but according to the opening text he reached out to these filmmakers my god <laughs> uh and here he's actually co-directing with a uh, man named Nathan Silver. So Mike Ott and Nathan Silver uh, come to Denver to make sort of a documentary or a movie of this guy's uh, life. Um, and uh, I really don't want to give too much uh, uh, away, but I'd like for someone who's sort of, if you're versed, well-versed in movies, like say American movie, early on you can see where you think this might be going that like mm. that it's like a, a a fun documentary about a a real character right you know um and as the movie goes on and again i don't know how much of it is real i mean there's some stuff that happens as presented as real that i think is definitely not but as the movie goes on the it's mike Ott and nathan silver start coming across as the bad guys, the exploited mm. like ones that they're that that uh, Arthur is just like a, a a guy, and they're trying to put him in a box. They're trying to make him the thing that will be best for their documentary. Um, you've also got a, a there's a part where um, they hire um, they hire an actress to come to Denver to play 
Arthur's girlfriend. Um, and so she's played by an actress named Lindsay Burge. I'd seen it a couple things, but didn't know the name, but I remember the name now um, playing herself, but also playing Arthur's girlfriend. And she's terrific. And mm. you, you sort of start to see in these, that, that initial assumption of like, Oh, Arthur's just a guy who calls himself an actor, but he, you know, um, uh, that's what he wants to be, but he isn't really, but in the scenes where he's acting with Lindsay Burge, you start to see like, Oh, this guy is an actor. Um, yeah. It's a, it's a very, very cool movie. And I'm a sucker for the sort of docu-fiction hybrid um, yeah. in a lot of ways. Uh, actor Martinez from 2016. Who knows what Mike God has coming next, but those are his two films that I've seen. He made other films, but those are the two that I've seen. Well, we'll be watching. Right. Um, <clears throat> Okay, so next up for me is uh, Tanya or Tanya, I don't know, Tanya Wexler's Jolt, um, <clears throat> which uh, I owe the website a review. I've been working on it, but it's been difficult Okay, because words can't express how much I fucking hate this movie. <laughs> I, uh, she, she made a movie, the only other movie of hers I've seen is a movie called Hysteria, which I, I did not like. I, um, yeah. David, okay. Offhand, and I don't I don't mean to put you on the spot, and if you can't think of them, that's fine. Okay. Offhand, in the time we've been doing this show and we've been reviewing movies and all that, can you think of which movies I really hate? Uh that you've reviewed or just that you really hate? That I've reviewed. Uh I'm trying to think. Um well, I, I know uh, whichever one, whenever you put cuss words in the in the movie title, <laughs> <laughs> right? Didn't you like? Uh, uh, I think I probably yeah, that's probably true. Like I can't you, think like of any Disney's of... Bears. You said like shit in the woods, shit in the woods, <laughs> and then I think they did one. I think either called Chimpanzee or Monkey Kingdom. I think they did both, and one of them I just called it Ape Shit. Right? Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I guess there's that, um, but. Uh, yeah, admittedly, I don't. Oh, like those, I know. But, uh, what's the one yeah. um, where the kid from Glee gets struck by lightning? Oh, it's called Struck by Lightning. Yes, yeah. that is that. To me, that one, and then that uh, demolition uh, right. with Jake Gyllenhaal. This is a level of hate that is comparable to okay. those. I cannot. I I had a hard time getting through this movie, and it's only ninety minutes. It is. You know what? It could absolutely be somebody's jam out there um, in the same way that Boondock Saints is someone's jam. Mm. And I say that in every insulting yeah. uh, way that I can, because it feels like that. It feels like it's trying so hard to be clever, so hard to be edgy. Um, and admittedly, Tanya, uh, Tanya or Tanya Wexler is a talented director. There's no question about that. There's a strong visual sense. It's got a really good cast first time writer and you can a hundred percent tell that. Um, and so it might be the script. That's the problem, except that, you know, it's not a writer's medium. The director, mm -hmm. uh, can change what she wants. And the story, uh, Kate Beckinsale plays, uh, this, this woman who, uh, was born with like, a, a neurological issue where it's like an impulse, impulse control problem. Some 
disturbs her, she will respond like violently to that thing. And so they've tried all these kinds of therapy and stuff when she was a kid, when she was a teenager to, to try and curb that. And it never, and none of it worked. And so the only thing that does work is this experimental, uh, experimental treatment by uh, Stanley Tucci, where she has to wear like a, an electrode vest. And anytime she feels herself getting angry, she actually pushes this button that gives herself like a little shock, like sort of back into uh, coherence. So it's like, okay, dumb, but we could, you know, we can make that work. Um, and, and yet, so it's like, okay, it's kind of high concept, whatever. Uh, and because of her temper or whatever, she feels distant from everybody else socially, understandably so. But then she runs across a guy played by Jai Courtney who uh, she really likes. And then, and he's very charming and obviously like he's a good looking guy. Um, and then he is murdered. He decides I'm going to get to the bottom of this murder. Um, and you know, I'm going to be, I'm willing to do what the cops won't. And so she's, so it's just, it's, it's very John wick, but it's, I, I haven't posted the review yet, but essentially in the post in, in what I've written, uh, I say like, it's like someone was inspired by the trailer for John wick, uh, and didn't bother seeing the movie. Uh, it feels like that. Cause there is a world building quality to it. Um, but the world is dumb and, but so, so convinced of its own cleverness and its own edginess and and you know like and who knows like there are listeners that might actually really love it and they might have completely legit reason to love it but the problem is for me is it's so you can you can almost every plot point almost every stylistic choice almost every performance almost every line you can directly connect to quentin John Wick, any or the movie Crank, obviously, or like any of these other things that are all of which are better. Um, and this is just a, a worse version of all of those things and an uninspired version of all of those things. Um, you, you've, it feels like a 16-year-old wrote it who thought all this stuff was cool. It's like a cinematic high five with, with somebody's friends. Like, it's just, I, man, I cannot, this is why, like, you hear how, how random I'm being now. This is why I'm having a hard time with this fucking review. Um, because I just, man, I hate it so much, David. It's, it sounds at least like it's a different brand of bad than Hysteria, the film that I saw, which was instead sure. of like trying to be edgy, that was cutesy. Um, oh, okay. Because uh, Hysteria is a movie in which uh, it's based on uh an actual guy um basically hugh dancy plays the guy who invented the vibrator oh yes yeah that's right I and he's she's able to attract good casts for both both movies and here's another thing i'll yeah. say oh and totally, david bradley's in it and he's great oh, i like him um totally different change of subject jai courtney is a guy who i think has a bad reputation because he has been in a lot of bad movies, mm -hmm. but I haven't seen those bad movies. I've only seen him. I've seen him in some bad movies, like the exception, but not that kind of like dumb, like Terminator Genesis, whatever, like dumb bad, yeah. um, which I haven't seen that. I'm just saying going on what other people say. Um, Jack Courtney's actually a really good actor, <laughs> um, but he seems to uh, have a, I don't know. He's got a terrible agent or, or, or something, but he was, there was a, cause he's Australian. Um, and there was an Australian miniseries that I think you can watch on Netflix, maybe called stateless that he's, he's really good in. It plays a prison guard. Um, and then there was a, a movie a couple of years ago that uh, no one saw, unfortunately called Semper Fi, which is a sort of um, uh, 
like Iraq war vet drama slash mm-hmm. prison break movie. It's super cool. Okay. Um, and I, why didn't I talk about it when we talked about prison break movies? No, totally missed uh, opportunity there. But um, yeah, I, uh, uh, I'll go to bat for Jay Courtney, but again, oh, not for the choices he makes. Yeah. Uh, it's, uh, he's, <laughs> he's fine in the movie. Although um, they, they, again, he's not in the movie very long, but <clears throat> They take his character in a direction that it's like, oh, he seems a little lost by the script. But if you see it, you'll know what I'm talking about. Um, but you know what? And, and even uh, the first Suicide Squad, which is not good, but it's got a great cast and he's great in it. And he totally gets he plays Captain Boomerang and he totally gets how to play that character. And he does a wonderful job with it um, in, in a very in again. Yes, a very subpar movie. So he's good even in the movie, in the bad movies that he's in. Um but yeah, I mean, this has got Bobby Cannavale, like it's Susan Sarandon is in it. And it also leads off with, speaking of her, it also leads off with just really awful narration that goes on for a while. I feel like I'm watching a terrible Lord of the Rings and it, man, I can't, now I just want you to see it. I and you know what, <laughs> again, like, because there is, because you do have this, you, you as a, as a, as a movie watcher, I feel like you have a higher tolerance for schlock than I do. Um, and it is. And, you know, I'm not opposed to schlock, but it's this this seemingly self-aware, but but in but not at all self-aware in actuality. Yeah, Uh, I have no more tolerance than you do for that. Yeah. No. Yeah. No way. Oh, thumbs down. Thumbs way down. Okay. well, um, I will say thumbs up to a Polish movie, uh, which you can watch on movie, uh, former sponsor of Battleship Retention called sweat directed by magnus von horn it's great um the star of the movie her name is oh i think i put an extra vowel in her name in my review her name is magdalena kolisnik kolisnik i'm not sure how you say her last name and uh that's the actress Uh, she plays a character named sylvia who is a polish um like fitstagram influencer like fitness influencer she's um that's her career is basically just being in good shape leading workouts over social media and being sponsored so like even when she like we meet her like at her doing work she's like uh doing a like live event where she's uh, uh conducting a uh, like leading a workout session at a at a mall for a, a bunch of um women who are not just there to get fit but to sort of see like she's like she's a fitness instructor but also kind of like the rock star in this situation everyone's there to see her like to be trained by her um and so that's like a work work thing but then we see her sort of get home and she even documents her like preparing her lunch because she's going to use a protein powder that's made by a company that sponsors her. So she has to make sure to like name the type of protein powder she's putting in her shake and show the um, label to uh, the, her, her camera. Um, So basically she's someone who's like, doesn't have any job in a traditional sense, but actually has a job that completely dominates her life that she is never not working really. Um, and then, um, see, the way I'm about to say this makes it seem like it's more of a traditional, like introducing a conflict to the story. Um, she takes her dog for a walk and finds that she has a stalker, um, and a a man who like exposes himself to her and, and, um, 
and 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 that you know obviously uh frightens her but then the movie isn't really it doesn't follow the narrative thread you would imagine from that like uh, uh just introducing the introduction of this potentially sexually aggressive stalker um takes the story in directions you wouldn't ex- expect um that i don't really want to get into because i don't want to uh spoil the fun for people but um you also see her um uh she goes to her mom's birthday party and then she's trying to get this book this tv job and she's just it's just a movie where she's she's always working and you can read my review for more uh uh, insights what else what i'll focus on and i mentioned this in review too what i'll focus on here on the bp movie journal is just how amazing magdalena kolesnik is in in this role it's such a demanding role i like uh, emotionally and intellectually but also literally like physically because she's super fit and is doing like doing full extended scenes while working out which i can like i feel like i don't know much about acting but that seems like uh, um that'd be worse than having to like get through a meal in a scene it's like do a whole scene where you're working out the entire time um and and the movie never she's the movie that this reminded me of reminded me of two movies both of which i mentioned in the review uh daniel goldhaber's cam which i think is one of the best movies uh in recent years that's sort of about the internet and social media um it reminded me of that in sort of its its aims its its, its goals but in terms of its execution its aesthetics it reminded me of vox lux uh, uh, a lot second time this mm. episode i mentioned vox lux because of uh stacy martin being in vox lux um and I'm going to put a pin in Vox Lux. I'm going to get back to it or, or later, but uh, or get back to that thought. But what uh, the way that Magdalena Kosnick, uh, Sylvia, basically like Natalie Portman's character in Vox Lux, is someone who is always moving because she like has to because her job depend like demands it of her. But also, you get the the impression that she can't afford to mentally to stop and think at all. So the like the camera is just always following her always on her. There's barely a frame of this movie that she's not in. And there's also barely a frame of the movie that she's not speaking or doing something active. Um, which actually brings me to one of the, um, in a very dark way, one of the kind of, uh, funny, most ironic things of in, in, in the movie, um, for as scary as the stalker might be, the most terrified <laughs> that Sylvia looks at any point in the movie is when she runs into an old friend from school and the old friend starts telling her about some rough stuff she's been through. And she has to have this actual like camera free in mm. real life, like heart to heart. And she looks completely lost. It's such, it's such a great performance. Um, oh, that sounds great. Yeah. It's, it's really good. Definitely check it out on, on movie. They're not a sponsor anymore, but they were for a long time. So good for them. Um, and then I also say Vox Lux is a movie that I'm so glad that I didn't review when I saw it at AFI Fest in 2018 or whatever that was, because okay. I didn't like it. And then I watched it one more time and I realized how wrong I was. And it's one of those movies that I think is just, is so applicable to so much of the world that we live in that I find myself thinking about Vox Lux or relating things in other movies that are in real life to Vox Lux all the time. 
Um, so I don't know. I'm so glad I didn't write that review because it would have been the wrongest I've ever been about a movie if I had written a review uh, when I first saw it. Hmm. Oh, interesting. Um, okay, so my last movie is a film that I saw uh, in the theater here. Uh, so I'm, I'm uh, in my hometown of Taft, California. The reason that I, I come here uh, for these little retreats, uh, although this is a working retreat, um, is that it's just far enough away to feel far. But if there were some kind of family emergency, I could get home quickly. Um, yeah. But, uh, but how, there how, is a... When, when you say hometown, how old were you when you left Taft? Pretty young, right? Seven. Oh, okay. Enough that I... like. I was old enough that I had geographical memories of where everything is uh, and, and certain places and enough that, you know, when I come back here, I don't know anybody here uh, anymore, um, but I still have a connection to the place and, uh, and, you know, it's still a little bittersweet to see how much the town has changed and how much of it dripping blowing away um which is uh, you know a little a little tragic but uh yeah. anyway so but they do have uh, a a theater here called the fox theater that is uh like an old uh, an old movie house from who knows how long ago but you walk in you feel like it's the 1940s um and so i went to see uh kate shortland's black widow uh the latest marvel film and now I hear this one's different from all the other Marvel movies. <laughs> it's uh, just like all the other ones that have always been different from all the other Marvel movies. I mean, it it is because it definitely feels a lot closer to a Mission Impossible movie. It feels like a different franchise, um, and it's it's fine. It it, it is occasionally great, um, but taking all of it together and it's fine. It's watchable. It's enjoyable. Cast. Um, you have Florence Pugh really stealing the show from among others, Rachel Weiss and David Harbour and Ray Winstone. Uh, all of whom are also doing really good work, David Harbour, especially. Um, but Florence Pugh, I think, and Scarlett Johansson, I think really is a, is a strong anchor, but I think it does speak volumes about not, not necessarily her as an actress, but, the character of black widow that even in her own movie, they needed her to be part of an ensemble. Um, I think she works well as being like sort of the straight man to uh, these kind of more kind of zanier characters. But, uh, but yeah, the, the film works best when you've got these four actors together and they're just talking because essentially when, uh, when Natasha Romanoff was a little girl, um, she was had been like recruited by the Soviet government, and she was part of a like a sleeper uh, group in Ohio. And her parents were David Harbour and Rachel Weiss, and but they're not married, and they're not actually her parents. And then her sister is Florence Pugh, who wasn't actually her sister. So they're they're a fake family, but they're but she's still a little girl, and so is Florence Pugh, and so they're still. Um, they still that have these like emotional dangerously connections. close to the Americans. Oh, I'm sure it probably is, which I haven't seen. Um, but I have no doubt that that's, that that's what it is. But, um, but that's sort of the, that's the prologue. Uh, and then they, they, they are, are made or whatever you want to say. And so we cut to years later and now she's part of the Avengers. This takes place after civil war. Um, she's part of the Avengers. Now she's on the run. And cause you know, 
it can't take place after Endgame because she's dead. Um, <laughs> but I, I just but, like I, I'm I'm sure there are like I'm sure that there are MCU fans. A lot of them who, if you say this takes place after Civil War, they're like, oh, got it. But to me, that, that means nothing to me other than yes, yeah, I guess yes. it takes um, place before Endgame. That's like all I know. Yeah, essentially, it's she is an Avenger and she's known worldwide to be one. And so then, and I do like the way they play into that. Um, like there's somebody like Florence Pugh mentions like, uh, you know, Hey, this guy that the Ray Winstone character, who's our villain, like if he killed you, then, you know, he will have killed an Avenger. And then one of the big ones comes after him. And she goes, w w wait, what do you mean? One of the big ones. <laughs> and, <laughs> and then Florence Pugh, cause at the time they just went through this terrible battle and they're, and they're like fixing themselves up. And, and Florence Pugh is like, well, you know, the God from the heavens doesn't need to take an ibuprofen after, a, after a fight. And so it's, it's moments like that, which yes, they're kind of that Marvel but it also plays into the idea that in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, they are celebrities in their own way. I like, I do like that. And it's moments like that that really keep the movie going for me. That and then when she does sort of get back together with this uh, fake family, um, they have tremendous chemistry. And there's, there's like this central scene where the four of them are together for the first time in many years. And it's a nice long scene. And all four of them are doing really great work. Beautifully staged, beautifully acted, very well written. Um, and those moments are, why, are when the movie is great, genuinely great. Um, the action is fine. It's, it's pulse pounding, but it does get a little bit mind numbing after a while, especially the, the ending. Um, it almost felt like they, they thought like, well, hey, Black Widow, you know, we're going to prove to audiences that she is not, in fact, a minor Avenger by having the, the, the climax here be just as big as any Avengers movie. It's like, okay, I get that. But at the same time, it becomes a bit repetitive. And then like another explosion will happen. You're just like, Oh geez, really? And rather than up the stakes, all it does is, is uh, make you feel just a little bit more numb. And so it's interesting that during the dialogue, the quiet dialogue scenes, I'm riveted. And then during these mm -hmm. big action sequences with a couple of exceptions, there are some good ones in the middle, but uh, I'm, I'm for lack of a better term bored or at the very least unengaged, but it's, it's worth seeing. I would say. Is uh, I just I just had to do the math, like look it up and do the math. In the present day scenes, are Rachel Weisz and David Harbour in like older age makeup? Because uh, well, he has definitely they because his character has been in jail, so he's got like this long beard and he's he's kind yeah. of they. He's they only made... he's only ten years older than Scarlett Johansson, and and uh, Rachel Weisz is only fifteen years older than Scarlett Johansson. That's what, that's what I was looking up oh. to see how convincingly they would have been these girls' parents. <laughs> Well, I would, I think it's safe to say that David Harbour in general just kind of reads older. Um, and then Rachel Weiss, because she is also like a former widow, um, because it's this oh, program okay. that, that, you know, she's, she's in very good physical shape and she looks, she, she's still sort of in the program. She still looks good. And so, um, so yeah, they, they make her look, they, I think they do that thing where it's like they de-age them for the flashback. Right. And yeah, then they just, and, and I think they, I think they heavily may, I, I, this sounds terrible. I don't like to speculate on people's looks, but in this case, it, because it has to do with age, I think they make Scarlett Johansson look 
as young as they need her to look. Um, and, uh, and what's so, you know, what's so interesting as well is just like in the performances, you can also really through how you carry yourself, but also how you relate to the other characters. Um, and that really comes through as well. The idea, like you don't question that these were essentially their parents because of just how they are in relation to one another. It really is. It's, it is a, it is a movie worth watching. You've seen all the action before, but these scenes are really are, are something special. And I appreciate the patience of the director uh, in, and of the studio, I guess, in allowing those scenes to happen. Um, it's interesting to think of Scarlett Johansson playing young because we first got to know her repeatedly playing older than she was because uh, uh, Ghost World, Ghost oh, yes. World, and Ghost World and Lost in Translation are both movies that I revisited during the pandemic times. Um, and in both, like in Ghost World, she's supposed to be like a recent high school graduate, but she's literally like fifteen in the, in the movie. Um, and I don't know how old she's supposed yeah. to be in Lost in Translation, but she's only like and eighteen in, in that in that movie. Anyway, I, it's so uh, interesting. Uh, um, there are certain actors. Oh, hang on. Can you hear me? Okay. Yeah, I can hear you. Oh, okay. Um, there are certain actors that, uh, for whatever reason, in my mind, maybe because like <clears throat> I became aware of them at a certain time, but they don't seem, they don't seem to have aged very much until you go back and look at them and you realize like, Oh, and so like, for example, uh, like obviously Tom Cruise is somebody that people talk about, but Scarlett Johansson is someone that I always think of as being, as being fairly youthful. And then you go back and look at her and, and watch her in ghost world or, or lost yeah. in translation. Or man, man, like, oh there, no, yeah. she genuinely what, Oh man, who, of course. And it's like, Oh no, she was genuinely very, yeah. very, very young. Like she's, she's actually an adult now. Uh, all right, last one for me, and then we'll wrap up. I watched the new Quentin Depew film, which is called Mandibles. Um, I went from not liking Quentin Depew. I know, I, I think, I, if I recall, Tyler, you're a fan of Rubber. But, I do enjoy um, Rubber. I, I, so Mandibles is not bad, but I, I liked his last two films so much. I thought Deerskin was quite good, and I would go so far as to say that I thought Keep an Eye Out was great that mandibles being kind of his return to like a, a movie that's just complete lightweight absurd nothingness um felt like it felt like a step back if it if it weren't for the last two movies deerskin and keep an eye out i probably would have liked mandibles more because i do think it's mm. better than the self-consciously weird earlier stuff <clears throat> but uh it's a movie about two guys like sort of very low level schemers wannabe criminals who um uh steal a car and then they find in the trunk this is a very quentin depew type of uh thing a huge fly a fly that's like the size of like a dog oh that's creepy um it is creepy that's when i was telling natalie the premise she was like that sounds gross and i was like yeah it is and they do some of like they play up some of the gross stuff but um uh i think quite wisely he takes on the quintipute de depicts the fly as being kind of like a dog and it ends up being kind of like cute and able to like emote with like turns of the head and stuff like that that's actually one of the better things i liked about the movie is that this fly is somehow cute um but uh uh so they uh being the kind of low level very dumb schemers that they are uh and the one of them the the sort of lead of the movie is played by 
Gregoire Ludig, who was the star of Keep an Eye Out. Uh, and so his uh, his sensibilities seem to work with Quentin Depew. I like that. But their idea, the idea they came up come up with is basically let's train this fly to go steal stuff for us. And then we'll never have to steal anything anymore. Um, uh, and and uh, uh, we, we, we can just uh, live high on the hog and send a fly out to steal money or food or whatever we need. Uh, but that's, that's their idea. But the main sort of, um, uh, Oh, we have a, a guest for the journal. We do. Um, uh, apparently. Uh, uh, Oh, I, I didn't hit I, admit. Uh, I um, did uh, instinctively because that's what I do when my students show up. Okay. But I will, I will text him in the chat that he needs to shut up because we're not okay. done. We're not done with the journal. Okay, so uh, there's someone. We have just have like an audience of one for the end of the journal. Um, what was I saying? Okay, so their yeah, their idea is we're going to train this fly to go steal stuff uh, for us. But the actual sort of game of the movie is they just need to find. They're like one of them's homeless one of them loses his mom so they just need to find a place to do this so like that's kind of their <laughs> game is just like figuring out where they're gonna uh train this fly there's plenty of funny stuff but it just it all doesn't amount to nothing it doesn't amount to much um there's a character that like um has a brain injury and talks funny and like the fact that that's presented as like a comedic thing is actually kind of uncomfortable to me it yeah seems, it seems like uh punching down in in a lot of ways um especially since she's played by adele exochopolis from uh blue is the warmest color an actress that i like but um the movie is uh, uh again i'm mostly saying positive things about it even though I, I i didn't think it was it's it's much at all uh it's so committed to being about nothing that it actually has a scene at the end where the characters talk themselves into finding meaning in the journey they've been through over the course of the film. And just the fact that these two idiots are finding meaning in this journey actually proves that there is none. Um, So uh, yeah, it's uh, I, I I feel like I just talked myself into liking it more than I, than I did, but uh, you can't help but compare a filmmaker to their other work. And given that, Quentin Depew is coming off of Deer Skin and Keep an Eye Out. Both movies, I think, are good to great. Um, this just felt like a, a an honorable mention.